Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. How's everybody doing? All right. Does anybody want to try that again? I mean, you can if you want. You don't have to. It's sort of up to you. All right. All right. For the latecomers, by the way, if you didn't know, you're in church this morning. We're going to do a little worship. We're going to do a little pray. We're going to do a little bit of laying our lives down and opening our ears and opening our heart and allow the Lord to speak to us. Amen? That's a good place for us to, to be. We've been in this uh, set of talks over the last couple of weeks titled, What? What would you do? What would you do? Where would you go? How would your life look? Would it be any different if we took 100% in faith that God's word is absolutely true when it tells us that he is for us? He is not against us, that he has a plan, he has a purpose, and he's using you and I to make that miraculous, supernatural plan come into effect on the earth. You know, we could choose to try to be innocent bystanders, if you will, and just let God do all of the work, so to speak, knowing that he does ultimately. Or we can know and understand that he loves his children and wants us to be included. That's the reality of the partnership that we have with God. That we stand in awe knowing that he can do everything that needs to be done. But his gracious humility and mercy has set us up. To work in tandem with his spirit. It's what he longs to do. And so we get to be part of that. And we ask this question to ourselves. What would you do? As a way of looking at some of. What the Bible has considered to be very faithful people that have had. Uh difficulties and circumstances in their lives and callings that were frankly impossible for them to complete without God, but willing to open their hearts and open their hands and say, I'm going to believe you, God. We talked about Abraham in the first week. And if we just spend a few moments reviewing Abraham And the impossible life that he had been called out into. Yet God empowered him through the encounters he would have with him. It's important that we understand this. That time and again he built altars to remind himself of God's promise. His need for intimacy with God. To keep pressing forward. And to know that everything comes from God. If you have your notes with you this morning, there'll be some fill-ins as we go along today. And I believe that they help you uh, throughout the course of your life. I 
was part of a church for a number of years where every week we would get these notes and, and we would use them to fill out. And I, over the years, kept them in my Bible to the point where I broke the binding in my Bible. But I found myself over the course of several years looking back on those notes and remembering, because right now you're sitting there and God's using this person to try to speak his word. And in that, the Holy Spirit works and moves and drops little things into your heart, drops little things into your mind, drops little things into your soul. And throughout the course of this coming week and the next and the months and years ahead, he will remind you of the things that he desires to remind you of so that you can act in accordance with his spirit. Week two, we talked about Hannah. And I talked a little bit about the fact that I felt as a guy, as a parent, in this modern day culture, feeling a little less than adequate in talking about her pretty profound story. Now, I want to remind you that each of these stories that we have talked about, there is the real impossible element to them. Remember, God calls Abraham and his wife and says, you're going to be the father of many nations. And his wife was barren. You remember that? And then we talked about Hannah. And Hannah had the same scenario where she desired to have a child so bad, but she couldn't. And it tossed her life into a place of prayer. She battled, we know, we read the scriptures and we know that she battled bitterness, depression, anxiety, and probably questioned the importance of her own life at times. Yet we learned so much from her. She made some important decisions early on. Decisions that we sometimes are left having to make. She decided to let God be God. And took it a step further and not only allow God to be God. Because you know, the Bible tells us that the whole world knows really that there's a God. Romans talks about this. The world knows that there's a God. But there's a difference between knowing that there's a God and then taking him on as your God. And Hannah had to do this. She was facing a life that was not what she had desired. Not much differently than some of us sometimes. We also learned that there's a process of sometimes waiting and how important that is. And we got this promise through looking at Hannah's life that there can be miraculous purpose in the middle of your pain. And year after year, there's a posture that we too can take much like Hannah did. And that is this prayer of pos this posture of prayer. And as we looked at Hannah's life and we see the fact that yes, God did grant her to have a child named Samuel and he became an amazing leader, a great leader, Israel's first leader, if you will. But that was not the primary focus of her life. The story that we see that's most prevalently played out in scripture is Hannah's prayer life. And I hope that that brings some hope to us in some degree, as some of us may feel at a different season in life, and we wonder what our place is. Because I realize as we look at this set of talks, it can be challenging. 
we look at our life and we say, okay, well, here's where I am at. Maybe it's physically, maybe it's emotionally, maybe it's mentally. You name it, we all have obstacles that we are overcoming because of our human condition. And so it's important that we understand that everything that you sense God calling you to is valid and valuable in the kingdom of God. There is nothing worth more in the kingdom of God. What I'm doing here now is no different than the ladies that show up here on Wednesday morning to intercessory prayer for the church. The things that happen behind the scenes, and you know this. And it's important that we acknowledge that. Today we're going to be talking about the Apostle Paul. And the reality is, is that we're jumping into the second half of Paul's life today, which it takes place about two-thirds of the way through the book of Acts. And so we know at this point, Paul's life has been miraculously changed. He's a man who was once well-known as a Pharisee, and he participated in the persecution of early disciples of Jesus. Prior to his conversion, sometime after he was approved of the execution of Stephen, another one of Jesus' disciples. And Paul was traveling on the road to Damascus so that he might find any Christians there and bring them bound to Jerusalem. This is the mission that he is on. And the Bible tells us that at midday, a light brighter than the sun shone around both him and those that were with him, causing all to fall to the ground. And the risen Christ verbally addressing Paul regarding his persecution in a vision. And having been made blind, along with being commanded to enter the city, his sight was restored three days later by a man by the name of Ananias in Damascus. And after these events, we know that Paul was baptized and he began immediately proclaiming that Jesus was in fact the Jewish Messiah. And at this point, he's wrapping up three missionary journeys to spread the Christian message to non-Jewish communities in Asia Minor, Greece, Macedonia, Cyprus, Judea, and scenario, or Syria, sorry. And so that's where we catch up with Paul here. Acts chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 17. We're going to read about 20 verses. So are you ready? You got your easy chair kicked back? Or are you engaged? All right. Now, from Miltus, Miltus, you say it how you want to. That's how I'm going to say it today. He sent to Ephesus and he called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. 
how I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from the house, from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction awaits me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church. He's talking to some leaders in the church at this point, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore... Be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold apparel or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. Being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. So there we are. Obviously Paul stating all of these things. Almost like a reminder. Here's what I've been with you for the last few years. Here's what I've been trying to talk about for a while now. And just so you know, it's not all hunky-dory from here. Yes, Jesus is the Messiah. Yes, he is the God of grace. Yes, this is the message that I want you to move forward with. And it's been done through a few aspects of Paul's ministry. When I was... Moving out of high school, I was beginning to look at life and what I personally felt I was on this planet for. And I was probably no different than millions and millions and millions of other young people. I frankly didn't have a clue. I had some interests. I had some leanings. I had some talents. I had some skills that I had somewhat become aware of. 
And I decided to take a course beyond high school, something that was more specific that I thought might land me into a career path. I was trying to be smart, if you will. And I liked drawing and I liked architecture. And so I thought it might be really smart sounding if I became an architect. And so I applied at this tech school and I started into the class and about three weeks in, the faculty and the instructor of my course came to me and they said, hey, uh, your math's not really strong enough. You should consider something else. And I was like, okay, like what? And I don't know if you've ever found yourself in that place of feeling like you were going to just trust everything that somebody else said, regardless of how you sort of felt. But that's where I found myself. And so I trusted. And they said, you know what? We think marketing would be really good for you. So I was like, okay, I don't know what that is, but if you say so. And full transparency, my first couple of days in the class, I noticed I was the only guy in the class. So I thought, this is good. And moving forward, I'm learning about marketing. And all of the nuances and all the strategies and all of the things. And it was kind of fun. I was like, this is kind of cool. Maybe they were right. And you don't have to have strong math for that. So that was exciting as well. It really felt like something that lent towards like just my ability to talk people into stuff. I, well, maybe I can do that. I don't know. And we had little projects throughout the class that um, we would do as a team. And our grade basically was made up of how we ourselves would participate in a lot of these together projects. They couldn't grade us individually based upon what the outcome of the whole group was, because that wouldn't be fair. So we did projects together, but were evaluated on our own individual participation. And so, at the last of the year, was the final project. And I sort of always felt a little late to the game on some of the projects that were being put forth for us to do. And part of it was probably because I was the only guy in the class. And so a lot of the ladies would get together and they'd be talking about, oh, this would be a great project, blah, 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 blah. And I just sort of came on along and would do what they told me to do. That's a smart move, I think. So, we're talking about this whole project that we're going to do. We're going to do a fashion show. And they had already partnered with a local vendor that was coming up on the world scene. You may know this company by the name of Chico's. They were newer at the time. And they convinced me that I would have a great outfit to do the catwalk along with some of the other people in the class. And this was not going to be done with just 
our people in the class. This was going to be put forth to the whole school, including Chico executives and many other people from the community that were into fashion and, and whatnot. I was into horses at this time. So if that implies what I might have typically dressed like. Show up. Day of. We had done all the practicing. I got the catwalk down, man. And they hand me the outfit. And I look at it and I go. I think I've seen Don Johnson wear something like this back in Miami Vice days. It was a red linen suit. Yeah. And I'm not exaggerating to you for laughs. This is my life, okay? And it's too late. The place is buzzing. It is alive. There was, I'm guessing, probably around 1,500 people there. Energy was big. It was cool. We had lights. We had the whole nine yards. And so I'm looking at this suit on this hanger and I'm like, I can pull this off. But for some reason, it doesn't feel like this is a man's outfit. And all I could think to myself, well, at least it's a jacket and pants. So, you know, you know what you do with these terrible situations in your life that you find yourself in. You, you talk yourself into it. Or you point out all of the best things that you can imagine about it and you just go on. And so that's what I did. And I made that red pantsuit look, I don't know. But I'm telling you, I came out on that thing. I did the walk and I know, I know now because I'm older and I'm smarter that the way that they were cheering had nothing to do with how well I did. Did I mention that this was an all-class project? We were graded on our individual participation. And I was going to do my part. To the best that I could do. I was given a role to do that was not comfortable it did not inspire me to want to do more of it. But it was what I had been given. And it was an opportunity for me to be part of it. And to just, like I said, do my part. It's important for you to understand that school up until this point had been a real struggle for me. Personally, some people don't. I've got a couple daughters, they look at their Test and they pass them. Other people don't have that same experience. They struggle every step of the way. But I had made a commitment to myself that I was going to pass this course. No matter what. And my commitment to pass this course led me to a commitment to my classmates. I bring this somewhat embarrassing, humiliating story up as it relates to the central thought that I want to talk around today. You see, as we read this passage in Acts, it's clear 
that Paul's commitment to God led him to a commitment to God's church. Let me say that again. Paul's commitment to God ultimately led him to a commitment to God's church. I got a question as we move forward in today's message. What is currently shaping your commitments right now? As we evaluate the life of Paul, we know his conversion was miraculous. The change in him is profound. Yet, interestingly enough, even before Paul's conversion, we know that he was pretty much a radical person. He was passionate and he was formidable. And it's clear that his conversion, it did not change his personality as much as it changed his position. If anything, his transformation refocused his commitments. And we see how this happened in what I believe is four aspects that shaped Paul's ministry. And today, we're going to look at these four aspects. Because I want to paint a picture that will really continue to help us ask this question. What would you do? I really believe that this is a question that is guiding our relationship with God. What do I mean by that? Well, we're all part of a class, if you will. A course, if you will. Paul talks about his walk with God as a race. There's a course that he had to follow. There's a race that he was attempting to finish. And one of the first aspects that outlines Paul's walk with God is humility. And we talked about this a little bit last week. We talked about it in this way when we said that humility is the highway to an open heaven. Humility is a highway to an open heaven. You may look at it as surrender. But as human beings, we know how prideful we can be. And so ultimately, when we surrender to something, to God, it takes humility. It means me looking at whatever circumstance or position that I'm in and saying, I surrender. We say over and over and over again in our life. Sometimes voluntarily, sometimes involuntary, that not my will, but yours be done. Humility is the highway to an open heaven. And in Paul's case, it was literally on a highway when the Lord of hosts humbled him. But let's not, or let's dig into what Paul must have had to endure as a result of his conversion. I mean, can you imagine how humiliating it must have been for Paul to literally go back to his constituents, his colleagues, his friends, or anyone that he knew and walk back every moment that he smeared the name of Jesus and his followers? It's actually 
in his calling to have to go back to the Jewish people that he was 100% in with to the point that we know he was willing to persecute and yes, kill Jesus following Jews. Disciples of Jesus. Fortunately for most of us here, we've never gone that far in something that we've believed to the point we'd be willing to kill for it. But for a moment, try to ask yourself, what would I do if I'm Paul? And I know this is something that I'm going to have to do in order to obey now the spirit which has humbled me to the point of blinding me. And I know I, I got to move forward. I, it's too late. I've seen what I've seen. I now know and understand what I know. The risen Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Three things that would have been impossible for Paul to preach in his previous identification as a Pharisee. I mean, this would be hard for anyone to do. Ephesians 4. This is why I believe Paul writes this. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Paul had nowhere else to go. That can be a humiliating thing right there. It's a blessed place. I've heard it said this way. Count it a real blessing when all you have is God. In all humility, he knew by God's grace that he had no choice but to serve Jesus. It was no greater, better, more meaningful life choice, occupation, or opportunity for him. The second aspect of Paul's ministry was that of tears. And this passage of scripture that we read mentions these things. Oh, what were these tears about? I mean, there's many times in the life of every person that will be called on to serve through tears. You see, it's in these times that the passion that we have for the work of God is really revealed. I'm currently taking our staff through a weekly devotion titled Seven Signs of Walking with the Holy Spirit. Because we know that as we work for God that we must walk with him. This week we took a look at the main purpose of the Holy Spirit in us to help us fulfill Jesus's agenda to reach the world. Without the Holy Spirit, we get obsessed with titles, positions, and ranks. And with the Holy Spirit, we care about his calling, his purpose, and his mission. And we see that without the Holy Spirit, people tend to be inwardly focused, needy, feeling entitled, easily offended, 
overly suspicious, extremely jealous, living for the applause of man, ready to give up upon hearing any criticism, and always blaming others. But with the Holy Spirit, we become an empowered force in the earth that he can use to heal the sick, cast out devils, save the lost, and impact the world, and disregard what people will say about you. It's a real difference in how I respond as a person walking with the Holy Spirit versus intention with the Holy Spirit. And if we're honest, there are times in our life where we struggle and we will walk in friction with the Holy Spirit. We can definitely see how the, the Holy Spirit helped Paul in this third aspect. And that is trials. You're probably seeing since we're through three of these aspects now that none of these are super exciting aspects of his ministry. We have humility. We have tears. We have trials. Anybody want to sign up for a life of that? But this is what we see. This is the same guy that says to count it joy. When you find yourself in this situation. This is the same guy that Mike talked about this morning that is literally sitting in. And I love the way he gave us a picture. He wasn't sitting in a prison in the United States of America where he's getting three squares a day. And he gets to sleep on, you know, a bed of sorts. Granted, I don't think anybody really wants to be in even a best suited prison. But we know it was far different for Paul. His ability to do this had nothing to do with his own Positive perspective. At some point, positive thinking gets worn down by your circumstances. Even the most formidable people, and I would dare say Paul is, was an extremely formidable force in his day and time. God had built him that way. Paul tells us exactly what kind of trials that he faced. They were not so much trials with the Greeks, though he had those. But he specifically tells us here that it was usually coming from the Jews. Now, why is that important? Well, you may even say that in our modern culture, that Paul would have had more pushback and trouble from church folks than from those outside the church. The Jewish people that Paul is really addressing here were often the Pharisees of which he used to be one of. He was well educated to be able to speak on this subject. He was in their camp. He knew all of their tenets. He knew all of their little nuances and ways that they would think and talk in the spirit of which the group worked and moved in.
He knew that the Pharisees could be rather judgmental, excessively critical. They had a real fear of changing or being wrong about what they had believed about the Messiah. Teasing question here. Have you ever been wrong about something you believed about God? You ever been wrong about that? It happens from time to time. You know, there's a couple scripture verses every once in a while we get kind of hooked on and we think they mean one thing and then we get a little better teaching on it and we go, that makes a lot more sense than what I was running with. I had a little bit of a revelation several, several years ago. I heard this passage of scripture. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And yes, we read that. And sometimes that can be preached in an excluding way. We know that it is a way to encourage people to come through Jesus to salvation with God the Father. And I heard a teaching on this. It, and I knew, I knew it was true. Because it encouraged me to be more including of people that I would have normally excluded. What if it was Jesus wasn't saying, I am the way, in other words, get in line. What if he was saying, hey, all of you that are seeking, all of you that are hoping, all of you that are desiring, all of you that know you need salvation, I'm over here. I'm over here. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. In a world where all of the voices are loud and they're screaming at you, trying to get you to go their way, I'm over here. Changed everything in the way that I wanted to embrace people with the gospel, that I serve a God who shouted from heaven and brought his son down and said, I'm the way. I'm the way. That's good news that our minds can be transformed and changed. Even from the most staunch perspective like Paul had. Paul was not an uneducated guy. He was a rather very educated guy. Grew up in what most believe was an affluent home. Had well-documented and high education. He knew the ins and outs. In today's language, you might say he knew the Bible better than a lot of masters in theology. He had a bit of an advantage as well. He lived in the culture, born into it. We oftentimes come about our faith from an outside perspective and we have to imagine, we have to project, okay, what does this mean? We read through scripture, well, that's cultural context. We have to know that like, well, we don't think this way. And so we have to get into that mode of understanding before it even revelates to us. Paul didn't have that obstacle. He knows what the Pharisees are about. Most of his trials came through this group of people. Most of the pushback came through this group of people. Paul's message was so counter. 
and was a threat to that message that they had. He tells these new believers in Acts chapter 1. And Paul's speaking from experience here when he says, But you, but you, Christ follower, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what happens to us when the Holy Spirit comes upon us? You see, it's this message. It shifted the narrative. It shifted the perspective from an inward focus that the Pharisees had regarding their relationship with God to an outward mission for all people. And according to Paul, this was the most important aspect of his ministry. So much so that this is what he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. It says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I may win those under the law. And to those outside the law, I became as one outside. Being not outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. And to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. And I have become all things to all people that by all means, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, the message, that I may share with them in its blessing. We have a phrase in our culture that says, never say, never say never. How many of you say, I'll never do X again? We do it all the time. We do it all the time. Went to a restaurant a couple weekends ago, had a meal, tasted amazing. It was the second time I had had it. For some reason, it just didn't sit right with me. And I've told Jen ever since then, I will never have that again. I'm never going to have that again. We went to that same restaurant last night and I'm looking at the menu. I'm going, oh, but it tasted so good. I said, but I, no, not doing it. Maybe you've done this. I, waiter came and I was like, you throw your hand, you throw yourself into their arms and you're like, just tell me what's good tonight. Right? What do you think? What's your suggestion? Because I can't do that again. Yeah. For Paul, the answer to this question of what would you do given all he knew Given all he knew he would endure, worship team, if you would begin to make your way. Oh. It's obvious through his answer 
Now, ultimately, it was about the message. And that's what it must be for us as well. Today, we, we've created in the lobby a special opportunity to respond. Many times we ask those who feel as if maybe the Lord is speaking to them to respond by moving frontwards to the altars. And if you need that today, we will have some here to pray. But our special opportunity today has us moving to the lobby area and to look and explore. Maybe there's an area that, that God would ask you to pray over. Or God would ask you to be involved in some capacity. Maybe serving in some capacity. And you may be saying to yourself, man, I wasn't ready for this. Well, that's okay. We're often not ready for what God is asking us to do. And that's why we just lean on him and let his spirit guide and direct us. And so I would ask each one of us that have found yourself here today. Even if you're in a hurry. To take a walk through slowly. And give God an opportunity to maybe speak something to you. And if you're already serving in 15 different ministries in this church. I don't want to stop you. But hey, you, you might have a full cup. We do have a lot of overlap here. But we know that we have some that need ministry in their life. And need to be re-engaged. And so today we have a ministry fair going out in the lobby. See, there's no question of what God desires for his people. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine, it says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but it's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And one of the primary ways to preach this message is through those that have already reached repentance. In and through the time, treasures, and talents that we each have. Just like Abraham, Hannah, and Paul. We each have different struggles and different life stories. But we echo one message. How we do this, it may vary. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10, 11 says, As each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Because to him belongs the glory and dominion forever. And ever, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.